Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. everyone. I'm Bill Roden. As we continue covering how our world is changing dramatically because of COVID-19, today we've got some uh, great guests. We're going to check in with a family doctor in Woodbridge, Virginia. Virginia currently has a relatively modest amount of cases compared to some other states with 70,731 confirmed cases and 616 deaths, according to the CDC. And we're also going to get into the most recent NCAA rule changes and what that means for some of the most popular college athletes if we ever have a college athletic season. My two co-hosts are Whitney Bronson, once again, and Randall Williams, our fellows from Hampton uh, University. Hey, Randall, hey, Whitney, how are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty well, Bill. I can't, I can't complain. You know, it's a very nice day out, so after this podcast, I'm going to go get some fresh air with my mask on. Whitney, how's it going? Um, I'm doing well, too. Um, unfortunately, I can't have that same luxury as Randall as it's been thunderstorming all night and all day. So I'll, uh, I'll be in the house. <laughs> Before we get to our guests, uh, despite the NFL draft and free agency uh, having ended, there's a lot of movement around the league. Andy Dalton to Dallas. Wow. Jameis Winston to New Orleans. Wow. Nick Foles to Chicago. At what moves have surprised you guys the most? For me, personally, Dalton to Dallas, most definitely. My brother is a Cowboys fan, so he was very confused, I have to say. So, um, yeah, just because of the fact that they already have Dak, I'm not entirely sure why they would, you know, sign Dalton. But I guess it's just a year-long contract for, I think, $3 million. But, yeah, that one took me by surprise the most. I think all, all three of them are pretty funny. Andy Dalton, I mean, I didn't expect him to get cut, but I mean, I guess the Bengals are just going to go with Joe Burrow right away, which will be very interesting, and he'll have a nice uh, array of weapons. Jameis Winston to New Orleans is pretty interesting, too. I don't think he's going to be the starter there just because I think Taysom Hill is going to take over once Drew Brees retires. I think he'll retire after this year. And then you have Nick Foles to Chicago when – you know, the, the Bears are paying him all this money, and essentially they could have gotten Andy Dalton for the exact same thing had they been patient. Um, so all that is really, really interesting. And then you have Cam Newton, who's unsigned, a former NFL MVP, better than all three guys we just named. So uh, sign Cam. Somebody do it. Well, yeah, that's definitely a shot across the bow for Dak down in Dallas. Let's get into this. You know, the NCAA, of course, is making news in the age-old debate regarding should college athletes get paid for likeness and fame just added another chapter in this long history. Earlier this week, the NCAA announced that it was laying out plans to allow college athletes to get paid for their fame, likeness, and image. The barring acceptance from three divisions of college sports potentially would be put into place as early as the 2021-2022 season. Players like Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Hurts would have been uh, ideal candidates for this because they've both had huge social media uh, followings. Today, to help us break down this announced ruling change is Professor Monique Smith. Professor Smith 
at Hampton University, teaches sports management courses. Professor Smith has also been a professional in sports management for the last 30 years, including 13-year tenure as athletic conference uh, executive for the historic CIAA, the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association. She's also served in various athletic administrative roles on the campuses of St. Paul's College and the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. Professor Smith is also the host of a nationally recognized weekly podcast of her own called A Chat in the Garden with Monique A.J. Smith. Sounds pretty impressive. Professor Smith, thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and thank you, Bill, for this opportunity to officially uh, welcome Randall and Whitney to the Hampton Alumni Association. (laughs) Thank you. That's great. That's great. You guys are alums now. Get those checkbooks out. You know, once you start. Amen. That's right. Start writing those checks. Let me make some money first before I start giving back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Professor Smith, just your thoughts. You've been talking about and and following this whole issue of athletes being paid. Where does this ruling rank in the whole as the argument continues to unfold? Well, I'm going to use this as a perfect example. You know, Randall just said, let them start making some money now. But Randall has intellectual property already. You know what I'm saying? That he could have been making money already. If he was a student athlete, this would be an example of a student athlete being able to be on a podcast, make his own podcast, and be able to get sponsorship. So that's where I come from. If we are are, are higher education places, to be able to prepare our students for life after college, we should give them an opportunity to try out those things in an entrepreneurship type of way. That's been my calling about this. I've had, I just had a student in my class last semester where I found out he had a clothing line. And I was like, ooh. I said, you heard him on his booty line? And he was like, yes and no. And he said he finished his undergrad, but he could go to grad school. I said, well, don't put your face on anything that pertains to his clothing line. I could have chose some of the things in class to help him to promote that clothing line, but I stopped because I didn't want him to lose any eligibility. So what I'm saying is that we are always talking about training our folks for the next chapter, but it just so happens if they have ability to play sports, they're not able to even test out the market. And that is my part from the world's entrepreneur. We all see that right now. If you are, have any type of way of teaching anything online, you can make you can make ten dollars to ten thousand dollars, but if you were still an athlete, you couldn't do that. So that is my premise, and I'm really glad. And like I said back in October, it can be done if you plan in a certain way. Now I do have some concerns about the endorsement piece because that right there is more about actually putting a billboard on a young person, letting them be able to benefit that. That's going to take more compliance people. But as far as educating. And being able to be able to use the intellectual property, the influence is important because again, we're in a higher education is to plan you for the next. Why did the MCA finally decide to basically cave in? Is it because they're feeling pressure from like the G League and things like that? I don't think it has something to do with Congress and other states going ahead and endorsing it. And so, you know, you might as well get inside it to be able to control it. 
because ultimately you can't declare somebody ineligible when a state says, oh, no, they can do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where it, it comes from. And honestly, it's, going, it's, it's very similar to in the 20s when we had prohibition. When you allow alcohol to be served, then you don't have anything being illegally done. So now let's put everything in the light and maybe be uh, in a constructive way so that those people are capitalizing off of it. You know, you know who was mad when we when we ended prohibition were the people that were getting paid to be able to sell you alcohol. And so now when we can allow our students to be able to benefit from their likeness, you won't have any, uh, well, you will still, but you won't have so much under the cover and having to declare people ineligible. And, I mean, even, bless his heart, Tiger Woods got caught up in that. Tiger Woods went to dinner, I think it was Curtis Strange, and then declared him eligible when he was in Stanford. So what you think he's going to do? He can go ahead and say, I'm going pro. All the young man wanted to do was to learn from from the best. So some of these bylaws um, that that are, are hindering growth in education are going to be lifted. That's where I am. I'm not necessarily all about the endorsements and the influences piece. I'm all about if you can sing, you can put an album out. Now, Professor Smith, I have a question for you. Now, one of the things that we've been seeing lately is a couple uh, student athletes playing basketball have been decommitting and choosing to go to the NBA G League for a salary of six figures or more. If you were advising a high school athlete coming out of school, they have a bunch of offers maybe to go to some top schools like Duke or Kentucky, but then there's the G League where they won't have to worry about anything in terms of rules or eligibility or entrepreneurship because they'll just be able to make their money there. What would you advise them to do? You know, my value system directs my conversation how I go about that. And education is high on my list. Now, if, if I would not, honestly, I'd be having a conversation with the parent, not the child. And if you have a, if you have a certainty that your child is going to be able to grow in that atmosphere, because listen, if you don't know how to pick the right advisors for yourself, you're going to be in a world of trouble. If you don't even know how to do a P&L statement, how to read that, you don't even know what that is when I say it. That tells me that maybe you should not be going to business for yourself. So why not go and, and, and learn a little business? I don't say you gotta go learn about geography and, and world history, but go learn something about where you're going to go. And that's why the one and done situation, I have changed my mindset about education as it relates to graduation. I would say education for your next. And if you can at least go one and done, plan a uh, curriculum that will assist them to be able to be successful at the next level. And then if they have a taste of that, when they get enough money or have the thought, I want to get education, they'll come back to the institution that set that stage. And then the APR for the institution can be grasped from that. So, Professor Smith, what changes do you think will come about because of this rule change, as in, like, from the teams and from the athletes? Well, I would say, well, change would be for the athletic department. You know, if you're adding another another step in certifying and monitoring, you're going to have to have more staff to be able to monitor how much money did you receive. It's like IRS within the athletic department, because you need to know how much money they are getting. And then you need to know about your tax situation. Because if you earn a certain amount, that's going to interfere with your scholarship, your Pell Grant. 
unless there's something being put in place that that doesn't count, that's exempted. So those are things that have to be worked out. Now as you say yes to it, how do you monitor it? And again, the whole point of compliance is supposed to be able to do an even playing field. So, you know, those type of things have to be in place. Our guest is uh, Professor Monique Smith. She teaches sports management at Hampton University. Professor Smith, just a couple of things for me before we let you go. Uh, thanks again for giving up your time. But do you think there's going to be a college season, a college football season? Well, I'm in Virginia. My governor is a, is a medical doctor background. Mm. So we're not open yet. But I understand there's some large states out there, you know, hint, everything is big and blank. And uh, states that that's a, a big economical push are opening up. And uh, AAU volleyball is opening up. So if AAU volleyball is making that push, you know, with the proper pieces in place, I believe it can. And if we don't, then yes, it's going to be worse than March Madness because people, institutions rely on football to bring in income that sustains the rest of the sport. Hey, Professor Smith, if people want to follow you, how, how can they follow you on, on uh, social media? Well, I like to talk to people on LinkedIn. It's Monique A.J. Smith. And then if you like the podcast and on Facebook, join us on A Chat in the Garden with Monique A.J. Smith. To listen to the podcast is a chat in the garden with MoniqueAJSmith.com. And uh, Randall, this I could share this. I do have a chapter in a book that talks about my athletic administration client called, it's in a book called Removing the Face. And uh, to go get that is publicfiguremass.com to learn about, because again, back in the 90s, I was one of the first women to be able to climb that mountain. And it's public figuremask.com. All right. You guys are very fortunate to have Professor Smith as one of your mentors and instructors. She's the best. <laughs> thank you. Hey, Professor Smith, thank, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you're staying safe and you're staying productive and, you know, sheltering well. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to get into virus-related news. Uh, we're going to talk to a family doctor from Virginia and get a first-person look into what it's like for some professionals on the front line of the pandemic to do battle with corona. We'll be right back. Last week, the United States passed a few new unfortunate milestones regarding the coronavirus, with 33,000 new cases reported on the first of the month and an additional 30,000 cases reported on May 2nd, which has been the highest for reported cases uh, to open a month so far. Although some states have begun to open up specific sections of their economy to help boost financial stability, the United States is still reporting more daily cases and deaths than any other country. Although some states have been hit harder than others, the toll is taken on our frontline healthcare workers is the same across the country. 
Unfortunately, today, we're going to get an inside look into how our healthcare professionals are handling the workload and some things we as a public can do to help. Today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Raynell Williams, a family doctor related to our very own Randall Williams. She's a family doctor who works in Woodbridge, Virginia. Dr. Williams is a practicing family practitioner in Woodbridge and graduated from Wake Forest School of Medicine in 2003 and has been in practice for 16 years. First, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Very impressive career. And I just read a bunch of numbers. We're almost becoming anesthetized to the numbers. They're just numbers. But what do these numbers mean to you? Essentially, it's, it's just showing how quickly this virus moves as well as how deadly that it can be. You know, rising number of cases, or what we would call how virulent the virus is, how aggressive it can be, but then how deadly it can be in terms of the death rates. And and that's the difference between this virus and our typical flu virus that we've seen. I noticed now I was just out and about, and it almost seems as if wearing the mask and not wearing the mask has almost become like a political statement. Where do you come down on masking versus not masking, and why do you think people should or shouldn't do it? I definitely believe that we should be masking and even wearing gloves when we're um, out in public and out of our um, own sheltered environment. Um, The reality of it is that, you know, we're still learning about this virus and how it's being transmitted and how long it's staying in the air and how long it's staying on surfaces. Um, And we don't, we, you know, we're still learning. It's ever evolving. Um, and so until that, until we get more concrete information, it's better to wear the mask, wear the gloves, just to help to reduce the transmission from person to person. That's the only way we're going to get control of the virus. Hi, Dr. Williams. So my question kind of concerns, you know, the, how the virus affects, you know, the younger generation. I know that it has been said that it more so affects older people than it does younger people. So I feel like some younger people, they kind of take that to mean, oh, I don't have to wear a mask or I don't have to wear gloves and stuff like that because it's not going to affect me. But I was wondering, have you, you know, seen any cases in younger people? So a lot of, well, it's one thing about in terms of how it affects us, we are all capable of contracting the virus. You know, every one of us, none of us are immune to that. But the difference in terms of how seriously ill someone becomes really boils down to, number one, their health conditions. And I think with young people, a lot of young people take for granted their health. Also, a lot of young people aren't aware of their status of health because either they don't have health insurance or they don't seek health care on a regular basis. So they don't even know whether or not they're vulnerable. Um, and so, you know, as you're, when you're young, you think you're invincible. You know, we all go through that phase in life where we think that nothing's going to take us down. And so I think that's where the virus is really taking some young people by surprise and causing a certain amount of illness that would not have been expected. The second point is that it all boils down to genetics, and we all have some genetic susceptibility to anything. Thousands of diseases, thousands of things that we don't even know how to quantify or measure yet. And so because of that, you know, this virus is, you know, it's hitting people. It may hit a certain population and, you know, we expect it to be very dangerous in elderly people, but not every elderly person suffers um, as much as the next. And that boils down to their status of health as well as the genetics and their susceptibility to certain outcomes with the virus. 
Auntie Ray, I, my question for you is, if one of your, your patients were to contract a virus, what do you say to them to um, make them feel a little bit better in a time of such uncertainty? Well, you know, that's really where my job is um, having the biggest impact. I'm an outpatient family practice physician. Um, and so I'm not taking care of the most ill patients, um, but I am dealing on a daily basis with the anxiety surrounding the coronavirus. And so I've had several patients who have contracted it, some very symptomatic, others um, showing very few symptoms, but it's just trying to reassure them that just, you know, having self-care and being aware of their symptoms and being vigilant if something is starting to, you know, go in the wrong direction, being vigilant about that and seeking care and, and ask, um, asking the right questions and seeking help. But basically, you know, we're, we're just trying to reassure people that this too will pass, even if they come down with it. Um, it's definitely not a death sentence for the average person and just trying to make them feel more comfortable that they'll get through it fine and, and be able to move on, move forward with their life. It seems that what makes this so devastating is the invisibility of it. And it also allows people to play games with it. And maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, if you've got the flu or something, you know, you could tell, you know, you're, yeah, people know oh, you've got a cold or flu or something. It seems like this is not like that. You know, you could be around people in the middle of a baseball game or something and there's not the coughing, the sneezing, or whatever would make people throw you the hell out of the stadium. Is that generally true? The coronavirus does have some sneaky or unsuspecting um, symptoms, but um, every illness affects everyone different. Um, just like every medication affects everyone differently. Um, you can't always predict what side effects someone's going to have from a medicine. You can't always predict what symptoms a person is going to have from a particular illness or in this case, a virus. So even going back to the flu, which you referenced, we do have a standard set of symptoms that we may say, okay, that definitely sounds like the flu. But in some people, it's much milder and it, it sneaks by us. So with coronavirus, the same thing. Symptoms can be very mild or you can even carry, um, have the virus and have very, very few symptoms. Right now, we're in the midst of allergy season. So anyone suffering with allergies who's sneezing or just sniffling or having congestion, it seems very mild. But it could also be coronavirus on top of that. And it's very difficult to distinguish that. So what would you do in that case? Well, just in terms of protection and the community as a whole, that goes back to your original question about masking. And that's why masking is important and wearing gloves is important because it is difficult to discern um, whether or not this is allergies versus common cold versus, or summer cold versus um, coronavirus. The second is, you know, sometimes we don't know. And unfortunately, we don't have rapid testing to the, available to the masses like we do for flu or for strep where we can quickly say yay or nay that it, it is or is not. You know, so when we when I talk with a patient, then I'm just asking for all of the symptoms that they're having. And I may ask about some that they have not thought about to try to distinguish between the two. But even with mild symptoms, if we suspect it, we just have people quarantine themselves and just stay in for the two weeks just to be on the safe side. In the last segment, we referenced the Mayo Clinic. I'm supposed to be at the Mayo Clinic next week just for my annual battery of exams. But my thought is, like a lot of people, what, do I really want to go to a hospital? Your thoughts on that? Well, in your case specifically, I'm assuming you're going to the outpatient side 
of the Mayo Clinic of their facility. And so in general, they've taken all of the precautions and, you know, sanitizing things, all of your nurses, all of your medical providers will probably be masked and gloved when they see you. And so that's going to protect you um, from contracting the virus. It should at least. But hospital settings overall, there are a lot of sick people there. There are a lot of people there going to get diagnosed. So emergency rooms specifically can be um, a little dangerous, but I would never advise anyone to not go if they have an emergency, an actual emergent medical situation. They still need to go regardless and trust that the staffs there are taking all of the appropriate precautions. How has this pandemic just affected, you know, you personally and your profession? You know, my dad, he's actually a dentist. And the dental association here, at least in Cincinnati, they told them to, you know, shut everything down and you guys aren't allowed to see any patients unless it's an emergency. So I know he's had to let some of his employees go and tell them to file for employment and things of that nature. So, you know, how has it affected your work schedule and just you personally? Uh, Yes. So just to speak on your dad, dentistry is very different because it's such close quarters. You know, they have to get down in someone's mouth right there by their nose. And so the the rates of transmission would be much, much higher in a dental setting. Um, In a medical setting for outpatient, um, we have basically... Uh, transitioned most of our visits to the telemedicine. So we're doing video visits. I do still go to the office every day because in some cases I cannot diagnose appropriately over a video. So I still bring in patients um, in the right setting you know, for an examination. Um, but it is very different. I mean, this is going to change the way we practice medicine going forward. Um, even once the virus is you know, more of an afterthought, um, the whole telemedicine and how we, you know, receive patients, it's, it's going to change us really for the rest of my medical career, I'm sure. Changes for the better? Um, it Actually, it may. Um, I think it's going to make us a lot more cognizant just about what people are experiencing in terms of symptoms when they're calling in and, and being more open-minded to, to things that they're calling about. Um, in terms of the access and telehealth, telemedicine, it does gives it, give us a different way to take care of our patients and address their needs, especially here in the DMV area. A lot of commuters, a lot of people work in D.C. It's hard for them, even though the majority of my patients live in Woodbridge, but the majority of them work in D.C. And so now their ability to have a visit with me while they're in the office makes it a lot more convenient for them. So, yeah, I think for the on some aspects, it's definitely for the better. My last question is, when do you think we'll have a better handle on things? Well, some of that is going to depend on our government, really having a concise and unified message coming from the government in terms of the restrictions or just the restrictions or the methods that we need to take going forward. That's the only way we're really going to get a handle on it. I know that at least from a state perspective, there have been coordinated efforts. The governor talks with the leaders of the hospital systems and then the message comes down from there. But, you know, if if all of the states aren't on the same page, or at least all of the states with a certain population don't get on the same page in terms of restrictions, then it is going to be difficult um, to really get it under control outside of just what the environment is just going to do naturally. Our guest has been Dr. Raynell Williams. She's a practicing family practitioner in Woodbridge. And this has been really, really, really tremendous. Hey, Dr. Williams, thank you so much. You've been wonderful. This is great. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a short break. 
and we come back, we're going to get into our Bravo Navros of the week. So stay tuned. Now it's time for Bravo Nabro. My co-host and I are going to pick something from this week, something that we like, something we didn't like. I, I'm not sure. I mean, as I told you last week, every time I wake up in the morning, I go to bed. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yes, bro. <laughs> you know, the rest of the time. But let's start with you, Whitney. Is, do you have a uh, uh, Nabro Bravo for this week? I do have a Bravo in terms of music. A lot of artists have been dropping um, Doja Cat, Nicki Minaj, Megan Thee Stallion, and Beyonce. Then, of course, my guy Drake. And they were all amazing. They were all great. So that's my Bravo for this week. Drake, is it, does he still make music? I'm sorry, Randall, is your Bravo now, bro? Oh, my. Let's see. I could, I could list off some Bravos. But I'll start with Nabro. My Nabro goes out to the Cowboys. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I am not, I am by all means not a Cowboys fan, but between them and the Patriots are my least liked franchises in the league. But how in the world do you sign Andy Dalton to a contract before you sign that? Yeah. Um, it's pathetic at this point. If this was Tony Romo, Tony Romo would have a contract by now. Tony Romo, I want to say, had two contracts before winning anything, really. And Dak, I mean, Face one of the greatest quarterbacks ever in Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game and and evidently lost on a game-winning field goal. And then this year, you know, you haven't even given him a, a true chance. Mason Garrett clearly wasn't doing it. So pay Dak his money. I'm not sure he's worth everything that he's asking for, but at least give him the contract and stop waiting around. It seems like now you're, you're taking shots at him by signing Andy Dalton to a contract rather than just giving him his money. Uh, and my bravo will go to the NBA. I really like that the NBA has not canceled the season completely, that they're still trying to have the season. Obviously, it was later in the year. And whatever works to bring anything back to us would be great. I think that even if they have to push the regular season back to December, so be it. I think having a Christmas Day startup would be fantastic. So bravo to the NBA and nabro to the Cowboys. And I guess my nabro would be to uh, the vice president who shows up at Mayo Clinic without a mask on. And I'm like, say, no, bro, you can't do that. Because now he's made that a whole political thing with people walking around the street in the midst of the virus, more people getting sick, more people dying. We don't know what this thing is. And now people are making a political statement following the Bryce President's lead by not wearing masks. So I'm like, oh, y'all, no, bro, y'all are ridiculous. So I said, my bravo. I don't know. Maybe next week I'll have one. Bravo is to God <laughs> to, to waking us all up every morning. I say, bravo. <laughs> anyway, hey, listen, that's all we have time for today. If there's anything else you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated, hashtag Rodenfellows. You can also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at WC Roden. That's at W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. And I'm on Twitter at Randall Williams, R-A-N-D-A-L-I-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. And I'm on Twitter at wit underscore bit. That's W-H-I-T underscore B-I-T nine eight. 
Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by the great Arthur Cribb. A special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Bill Roden, and I've been your host. Get all of your 468 podcasts by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another scintillating episode of HBCU Podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great, safe week, everyone. <laughs>